Barbenheimer box offices make history. The Marvels debut a new trailer. Comic-Con drops some exciting future content. And movies are getting pushed back. That news and more awaits you after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Multiverse News, the repository for all the news about your favorite fictional universes. My name is Matthew Carroll, and today with me on our panel, we have Jay Scotty St. Clair. What's going on, Jay Scotty? Hey, what's happening? You know, I have experienced Barbenheimer, so I'm just basking in the afterglow of that <laughs> monumental weekend in box office history. <sighs> I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. And Jay Sisson. What's going on, Jay Sisson? Oh, not too much. I'm glad to be back after missing next week, and uh, glad to be with you guys again. Missed y'all. Yeah, welcome, welcome back. And Haley Hobbs. What's up? Happy birthday, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Randy points. (laughs) Haley did a full-on angel face before she spoke, and then realized it was an audio medium, predominantly. (laughs) There are people watching right now. I know. 16 of them, in fact. That's the benefit of watching live. You get to see that kind of content. That's right, that's right. It's available on video on Spotify and on YouTube, so check it out, guys. Check out that video if you haven't seen our lovely, lovely faces. Um, Now that I have lighting again, for a while I looked like I was filming in a dungeon. It was a little rough the last two weeks. (laughs) Two weeks ago we started, I didn't have have any lights, but we we started at 7.30 and there was enough light coming through the window. And I was like, oh, this will be fine. By the end of the hour, I was like leaning into the screen so that the screen would put just a little bit of light on my face. Yeah, it was kind of giving some Blair Witch Project vibes a little bit, like at the end when they're trapped in the basement or whatever, like, and it's real close. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, first up in our stories today, it's my birthday. That's the first story today. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friends. Thank you. And in other news... The Barbenheimer phenomenon catapulted both Barbie and Oppenheimer to the fourth largest weekend domestic box office showing of all time. Barbie pulled in $162 million domestically and $344 million worldwide, making Greta Gerwig the first female director in history to achieve those numbers. Oppenheimer debuted to an $80 million domestic showing and an $174 million worldwide exploding expectations. 
the two films are expected to continue to dominate the box office in the coming weeks as the end of the summer movies slate nears. What kind of direction does this give Hollywood as they seemingly struggle to understand theater-going audiences? You know, it's interesting. I am wondering how these two movies would have done had they been on their own instead of being together. And I think the crazy true answer to that is that they both do worse if they're Mm -hmm. just unopposed at the box office, because these are really high numbers. Uh, Nolan movies typically don't, uh, Batman's excluded, obviously, but Nolan movies typically do not open that high. They open around like the 50, 60 million dollar range. The Barbie movie, people were saying, oh, it's going to get right around 100 if it's lucky. And here it is hitting 150, 160 million dollars. So I think the phenomenon here of the whole thing of pairing these two movies together, it's kind of that old saying of like a rising tide lifts all boats. It seems like each benefited from the other, which uh, is really great. I mean, it's uh, it, it's bringing people out to see both. It's bringing people leaning into the joke. And there's only one loser here, and it's Tom Cruise, because Mission Impossible <laughs> had a pretty Aww. steep drop off this weekend. Like, he's mm. got to be so mad. Like, why? how did this happen to me, uh, releasing this movie so close to, uh, to this? But I think this does spell kind of going forward, when we're talking about Hollywood, you've got two movies that are unique ideas, they're original IPs, they're coming to the big screen. And we've seen a concerted effort by Hollywood to really push franchises. And that has its pros and cons. But I think we're starting to see a little bit just of of people kind of not necessarily going to the theater to see franchise movies like they used to. They're no longer the shoe-in that they used to be. If you go back and look at some of the box office totals of some of the franchise movies, especially like in the lead-up to Avengers Endgame, not just Marvel, but DC too, these movies were routinely sniffing a billion dollars and breaking a billion dollars. And it's just kind of like not happening anymore. So I think as we're moving into this kind of new phase, you're, you're starting to see people kind of not necessarily you know, be driven by just that. Uh, these, these movies hit streaming typically a couple months after they hit the theaters. And I think a lot of people are sitting there saying, all right, if I'm going to go to the theater, it's got to be an experience, right? And what better experience than Barbenheimer? Like that's people are taking pictures of their outfits. They're, they got the Barbie boxes, you know, they're taking pictures of their tickets. Like that kind of stuff has made it a FOMO experience. People don't want to miss it and they want to see it live and they want to be participating in that event culture. And a lot of the franchise movies aren't doing that anymore. It's like, well, I'll see you in three months on Disney plus or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's great for Hollywood, um, ultimately to see movies be successful at the box office. I did see Oppenheimer. I haven't seen Barbie yet. I plan to at some point next week. Um, shun the (laughs) non-believer. I'm sorry. I had to make a choice. I had to make a call, you know? Mm. Um, last thing I'll say is that I am annoyed already thinking about Hollywood trying to recreate this because you know that they will. They're going to try to take something that was completely organic and they're going to try to recreate it artificially and we will punish you. We will force you to re-release Morbius in theaters again if you do this. So do not even try it. This is our thing and we made it. Now back off and let us watch our movies. You know, there's such an interesting point you made, Jay, about the (laughs) fact that these two movies coming out at the same time boosted them both, because that is so against all conventional logic. For sure. Like, it has been forever conventional logic that you have a competitor, then it's like, oh, 
that's going to make your movie do worse. Just period. Almost always, no, whatever the competitor is, it's counter-programming to your thing, and it's going to make people make the choice. Because there is just the thing of, like, people go on dates. Like, they're not, they don't care what movie's out. They're just going on a date, and then they just pick their movie when they're on their way. You know, like, that's a, a lot of moviegoers are just going to go to a thing. They're not necessarily going for the movie sometimes. And, like... This, uh, it's so weird. It's such a weird formula that this had that it like made people want to be there and have that FOMO and have that like every, it's a cultural moment, which is so strange. It's like this weird meta sort of kitschy cultural moment, um, that I think we were all hungering for. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. My experience with Barbenheimer has been an interesting one because I often think like I'm in a bubble and we talked about Barbie and Oppenheimer on the show, but I didn't realize how much of a cultural phenomenon it really was. And as the weeks built up, I started picking up on the fact that like this really is, you know, in the zeitgeist, it's in the lexicon, like it's taking the world by storm. And it was really heartwarming to like go to the theater and I saw both Barbie and Oppenheimer and before and after each showing, my theater was absolutely packed. So we've talked about a summer of kind of disappointing box office returns and, you know, to your point, Jay, I think Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie and Mission Impossible, they're going to be okay while they are struggling a little bit domestically. Yeah. Um, internationally, they're they're holding pretty well. And I think that just speaks to how Tom Cruise really has marketed himself and that franchise as like a, a global franchise. But um, in terms of the quality of these movies, I think, you know, in addition to them both like really feeding into each other and creating this fever pitch, they're both really good movies. Uh, you know, I really had a, a good time with Barbie, laughed a lot, thought, um, I won't spoil anything, but I think it's not what people are expecting. It, it does something a little bit more. And I think, you know, that's credit to Greta Gerwig. That's credit to Margot Robbie and <laughs> Ryan Gosling absolutely steals the show. But um, Oppenheimer, I, I had some issues with, but I did find my thoughts just dominated by the experience that Oppenheimer was and, and some of the things that like it, it touches upon, especially, you know, um, Christopher Nolan had been on record talking about he, how he approached this, like Oppenheimer was arguably the most important figure in the entire history of the world. And I think the movie really um, capitalized that and drove that home. So I actually want to see both of them again. So, you <laughs> mm. know, um, yeah, I, I don't think this, this magic can be recaptured, but you know, it's, they're going to try to, like you said, Jay. So uh, we'll just enjoy it while it's here. And uh, it's, it, I will say it's just, you know, it's, it's one for the record books. It's a historical moment. I'm glad that I was alive and able to be a part of it. Um, Especially in the midst of like these, these dual strikes, the fact that like neither one of these movies could like, you know, do the full promotional thing. Like I think it was Barbie or uh, it was Oppenheimer, like the cast like left during the middle of the premiere as the, as the uh, SAG after Mm. strike became finalized. So uh, just what an unprecedented time in, in history and film history. And as a, as a fan of all those things uh, really excites me. I think something that's fun about Barbenheimer is that it's not going to go away because I can actually see both of these movies being Oscar darlings for uh, next year. They both brought something extremely interesting and unique and special to the screen. And I went to see Barbie uh, by myself on Friday. And like you said, Scotty, it subverted all of my expectations in the best way. It brought me to tears. It was such an awesome movie. I do think everybody should go see it. Even my husband, you know, he was like, I'm not interested in Barbie. And I was telling him the plot later that evening. He was like, oh, that actually does kind of sound interesting. I'm like, it is. We're going to go see it. It's happening. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, leaving Oppenheimer, 
was somber and sobering and uh, but just as interesting makes me want to read American Prometheus, which is the book that Nolan based the movie off of. And um, I love that I love that this happened because I think it was kind of like we said, this cultural moment that maybe we all really needed something to bring us together, make us feel a little bit more cohesive. It's been kind of disparate in the country for several years now, and this was a nice little warm, fuzzy sort of thing. You know what I mean? Um, in general, that we all kind of <laughs> could rally of around. That was super fun. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about like why this worked and why these two movies particularly worked for for this phenomenon to happen. Uh, and I think part of why these movies worked so well is they are not afraid to be what they are. Like I haven't seen them yet, but just the in the marketing, um, like Barbie is a like silly pop movie like it is going all out for the style that it's going for and like the everything seems to be lining up into that kind of movie and it's not afraid to be bold i I think of like the x-men movies from the 2000s and how you always had to kind of like shave off the kind of kitschy stuff to make the movie more palatable to those matrix loving audiences you know like put them all in black leather like don't (laughs) don't give them yellow costumes and it's sort of the opposite with this and like barbie is just all pink all pink all the time it seems again only seen the trailers so far but oppenheimer being the opposite like it's not scary it didn't try to be like it's a interesting story about oppenheimer this historical guy it's like no this is going to be like a tragic sad heavy movie and we're those trailers like really turned into that i think there's just something to be said for like not being scared not being ashamed of the kind of movie you are and not being not shaving off the edges to fit the four quad you know we always talk about like the four quadrant movies that like fit everybody these movies didn't try to do that it seems it seems like they're trying to be like no we're specific and that's okay and people seem to be digging that um and the fact that they're so specific and in so opposite directions is i think what made that magic happen Barbie's self-awareness is the thing I loved the most about the movie. It knows exactly what it is, and it knows exactly what it's doing. And I won't spoil any of the lines, but there are just lines in the script that tell you that. it's it's Mm -hmm. so It makes it so much more fun that it's acknowledging the wacky world that they've put us in in this film. Haley, you mentioned the Oscars. I I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, Killian Murphy will be a front runner for Best Actor. Uh, I think Robert Downey Jr. will be a front runner for Best Supporting Actor. Um, Like I said, I haven't seen Barbie yet, but all I've heard is that Ryan Gosling is probably kind of like getting a, you know, grassroots campaign going from his performance in this movie to uh, contend for best supporting actor. And you got to think Margot Robbie's going to be in the mix for best actress. So um, I hmm. think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think these movies are uh, an Oscar campaign is a very expensive thing that a studio tries to, to chase down, but I think you'll see, that be the focus here. I mean, these, these movies are too important at the time that they're happening. They're dominating so much of the conversation and you want to set them up for that cultural kind of legs to people watch them years down the road. And the best way to do that is to bring in the awards. So I think it's a good call. But if you win an Oscar, you get, to re-release your movie a lot of times yeah, and then be like, Hey, you missed it the first time around and think if we got another Barbenheimer or something, you know, like not necessarily <laughs> both of them at the same time, but like either of these movies getting another pop in theaters after already having such success, any, th- any studio would love that. Um, and all that great word of mouth, it's already happening now. Then we have that, ha- that happening again in February and then have those released again. The, yeah. Did, 
these would do way outperform. They're already way outperforming expectations, mm -hmm. and like that would be crazy. TJ Stafford asked in the chat, "Can a four-year-old handle Barbie?" And I wanted to answer on the air. I'm not a parent, but I would honestly liken it to a Pixar movie in that the jokes that are made for adults will go over like a really young kid's head, I think. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I just like seeing people have fun at the movies. Like, I, I see, I already see like uh, the very, the undercurrent of like trying to make everything political and trying to make movies political and the messages, blah, 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 blah. And it's just that is getting so drowned out by people just being like, this was fun. It's like, that's what we need. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's, we need more of that. Like we just need more people drowning out, like just people that drag down so much <laughs> of the conversation sometimes uh, just, you know, go have fun at the movies. Like don't be scared to have fun and, and uh, enjoy yourself. Like that's what we need. That's what we need when we, uh, when we're talking about these things. Yeah. A mm -hmm. final point I want to make before we move on is like, as much as I, I acknowledge that these two movies did like buoy each other, their association with each other, like, garnered that interest and, and drove the audience. Um, I do think there's, there's some analysis to be done in terms of like Barbie, like absolutely blowing expectations out of the water and it's existing IP, but it's IP that has existed for so long. That's never been adapted. And I think if you look at a, another movie, like the super Mario brothers, very similar situation. So now those are the number one and number two yeah. mm. uh, opening, you know, domestic weekends for this year. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come out and say superhero fatigue or anything like that, but I think you can kind of look at what audiences are kind of transitioning to. And like, you know, back in the 60s, we saw the the Western genre kind of phase out and make way for the 70s and like, you know, neo-noir and crime. And I think we're in a very similar situation um, right now. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's the novelty of something we haven't seen before yeah. instead of... You know, it's, it's like the, the, the old, like, super, you will believe a man can fly. That first, the first <laughs> of the superhero movies, you know, you'll believe a man can fly. Like, we all believe that now. Like, we've all seen it. We've all done it. Like, but we haven't seen what a doll can do. You know, like, it's just like a t <laughs> totally new and different thing. Um, and so we want to go to the movies to see something we've never seen before. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, moving on. This is going to be interesting. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con was held July 20th through 23rd and still offered exciting news despite the writers and actors' strikes in Hollywood. Uh, so, we're going to do a first on Multiverse News, a topic-specific lightning round. That's right, a Comic-Con lightning round. And uh, not, not to replace the later lightning round, but there are just so many Comic-Con stories. We wanted to get to them and get a little chance. You know how the lightning round works. Everybody gets to uh, buzz in to say your name for the story, and then at the end, uh, we'll uh, or everybody can do one response to a response, rebuttal response, whatever. You know, you know. We, we one day we'll write language for this. Um, <laughs> no, we won't. No, 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 no. It's part of the charm. Don't you dare try to script. Don't, don't you dare try to script this. Script this. Once you write something down, it becomes real. We're not doing that shit. <laughs> it is written. <laughs> All right. Cowboy Bebop director Shinichiro Watanabe's new Adult Swim series, Lazarus, promises some heavy action and themes. Scotty. I knew it. Yeah, Cowboy Bebop is legendary in terms of animes. You know, don't pay attention to that live action adaptation that came out on Netflix a, a while back. Uh, but everything about this, like, really excites me. Just the concept alone, like, with a name like Lazarus, I think that has certain kind of 
connotations in terms of like resurrection and even the log line we got. It's um, apparently set in this future where they've developed like a cure-all drug, but the unintended or unexpected side effect is that you die three years later. So you, I'm already bought in with the creator behind that, that concept. But then the other thing that wasn't mentioned in this uh, little read down here was some of the musicians that are going to be involved because Cowboy Bebop, as much as it was celebrated for its story and its animation, it also had a killer soundtrack, which is uh, composed by a group called the Seatbelts that did this very like jazzy kind of approach to it. And they've um, brought in a number of artists to work on this uh, this series, Lazarus, but the one that stuck out to me is Bonobo. Um, his real name is Simon Green. He's a British down-tempo like DJ electronic artist, and he has been a recurring feature on my Spotify for years and years. Whenever I'm going to do a study session or work on some art or anything like that, I always have Bonobo playing. So definitely recommend the album Style M for Monkey, uh, Days to Come, uh, Black Sands. All of those are awesome. And, uh, you know, people, they like their lo-fi girl on YouTube, but when it comes to down-tempo, Bonobo is where it's at. So check it out. Super excited for this series for all of those reasons. Very cool. Ubisoft showed footage for a new open-world video game, Star Wars Outlaws. Jay, uh, this looks really cool and really interesting. There's like thematic trailers to go along with it. They showed off some gameplay footage. Star Wars games kind of have a checkered history. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are just kind of okay. And then a lot of them are not super great. But uh, when they hit, they hit. And uh, this looks really interesting and I'm, I'm bought in uh, to this uh, to this concept it looks like they're they actually are trying to do the open world thing which is something Star Wars fans have wanted for a long time the setting is cool you get to play a scoundrel you get to kind of work the empire on one side and the the um, different kind of like crime groups on the other side so I don't know I think uh, I think it looks exciting awesome Star Strip what is my problem? Star Trek? That's not what it's called. <laughs> the new spinoff coming this fall. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> I almost did it again. What is it? Why? Why? This is my my, my favorite it. show series of all time. Star Trek. Can... Get off my Enterprise donkey. <laughs> Star Star Trek is hilarious. <laughs> it's just the two voices, Scotty and and the Captain Trek, would be talking back and forth, and it'd be the same voice. Okay, Star Trek Strange New Worlds will feature a musical episode called Subspace Rhapsody in August. Matt, of course. I knew it. <laughs> and this will go for 10 minutes. No, I, I really don't have too much to say, except like, I, I, I would, I feel like part, there's part of me that wants to hate this idea. They're really, <laughs> like, just the idea of putting a musical in Star Trek sounds stupid to me. Uh, it really does. But that's the, that's the old cold-hearted nerd in me. Um, I, th- th- this is post-Barbie, Matt. Not, not really, just post-Barbie trailers, Matt. No, I just feel like there's a, there's something to be said. I think Strange New Worlds has been doing this a lot. It also knows what it is. And it, like, doesn't mind being silly. And uh, the episodes lately, there have been some really silly episodes. I think I talked about it last week, how I had a hard time enjoying one because it was so silly. Um, but the thing is, like, i got to think back to some of my favorite series. And one of those is Buffy which also had a musical episode and it's one of my favorites. I, and it had that show has amazing heart and amazing serious moments on Buffy, but like that, that musical episode is 
weirdly one of the most emotional episodes because they they like don't they're not scared to tell like tell real parts of the story inside of the musical and it's really good because then you have characters singing their emotions and it's really really killer um and so i'm really hopeful that they will go go full in on this um scrubs also had a musical episode years ago like Mm -hmm. they both both of those musical episodes, I think, worked really well. They came up with a conceit inside the story to make it work, and I'm sure Star Trek: New, Strange New Worlds will do the same. Um, and I, I'm excited for this. But my, my cold, I feel like the world is trying to awaken my cold nerd heart and let me love <laughs> he's, things. He's thawing uh, out a little bit. Yeah, I'm thawing out a little bit, a little bit. Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, Scotty with a rebuttal. Wait, I have. A, ooh, oh. Ooh. oh. I we just, got two rebuttals. <laughs> I just wanted to say I love a good musical episode, so I was glad that you brought up Scrubs because if you didn't, I was going to. But then also I'm sure people that are of a similar age to me will remember even Stevens had an awesome musical episode titled Influenza. And I have not watched Strange New Worlds, but my understanding of is it it's kind of like a throwback to the original Star Trek series. And in that series, I could totally see an episode where they visit a planet or a civilization where all they do is communicate via song and i think that could be like a really interesting concept to approach Mm -hmm. a musical episode absolutely i was just gonna say that yeah this is common the older shows have done it and even like the cw flash had a musical episode and i think on those long time network shows like that it was like hey some of our cast members sing did you know we're gonna (laughs) show you Um, (laughs) but it is kind of fun and it's kind of hokey and i bet you'll end up loving it I always love it when there's one cast member that clearly doesn't sing, um, but they still let them. Like, it's just, oh, that guy's not good at this, but I like it anyway. You're involved uh, as well. <laughs> or, like, they'll give them one line, and it's clear, like, whew, there's a reason. They give them one line in the song, and that's it's it. toned up as hell. <laughs> In a trailer for The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, we see lead actor Norman Reedus fighting zombies in France. And both Dead City and Daryl Dixon have been renewed for second season, even though Daryl Dixon hasn't even started yet. I'll, Matt, I'll talk about this one. I am, uh, I, I don't know how these shows are doing because I don't hear anyone talking about them anymore. And I fell off toward the end of Walking Dead, which I think is over now. Like the show is over now, right? The original show. Anyway, it's weird because there's so many spinoffs now. There, there was Fear the Walking Dead, uh, and and now, and I think that's still running. And Daryl Dixon and the Dead City, um, but they're all three based on characters from the first season. And I've been saying that for years about Walking Dead. One of the weird things is they very rarely get rid of original characters. So one of the problems of the show is they constantly bring in new characters just to be fodder for that season to kill off. But those like same six have sort of like, st- but the, the, the side effect of that is those are the only six you care about or whatever. Um, it's really hard to learn to care about new characters because they're either going to die or yeah, I don't know. Uh, every once in a while. Anyway, I think it's interesting that they're, they have these two new spinoffs. I haven't seen them yet, but I did watch this trailer for Daryl Dixon, and it seems cool. I like Norman Reedus a lot, and uh, seeing his, just seeing a different part of the world and what's going on. I want to see the story of how he even got to France. Like, There's no infrastructure in this world, and they're just sort of building. <laughs> this is the part of the zombie apocalypse I've always wanted to see. When you get past the like roaming bands of chaos and you start really rebuilding society with zombies just existing i think that's fascinating so i'm i'm down i'm down for both these uh 
both these spinoffs. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick on this one to say that there's also an upcoming uh, series based on Rick and Michonne. I think it's uh, they showed right. a couple clips from that or photos from that or something. So that's in the works too, which again, original characters come into the mm-hmm. forefront. But yeah, they're they're going straight at, at The Walking Dead. I mean, they're saying, hey, we're going to lean into it. We're going to start the spinoffs. We're going to have basically three spinoffs running concurrently at the same time, just kind of getting right into it. So they're doubling down and tripling down, I guess, on the on the property. So who wants to start the Walking Dead Cinematic Universe podcast? <laughs> Not it. <laughs> I got so tired of watching The Walking Dead about halfway through, and I, mm-hmm. I got out. I, I, lo- I loved it when I watched it uh, at the Me beginning, too. but it Me just um, – I've talked about it on other shows on this network before, but felt like it just got so repetitive, and and so many people agreed <laughs> with me and fell off of it. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's – you know, I mean, if it's if it's building itself back up and the fan base is happy, then that's a good thing ultimately. But you know, there's this weird effect that I have with sequelization, where once something gets enough sequels, I start going like, "Well, this many people can't be wrong," and like, like I'll I'll I'll, I'll not see the first one, I won't see the second one, I won't see the third one, and I'm like, "Oh, Saw Six. Hmm, something must something must be going on over there and i'll go and watch all six and i'm sort of getting that feeling now i'm sort of like oh well they're getting four spinoffs like is this still is this still cooking because i i've fallen off two three four years ago but now i think i might go back i might catch up speaking of saul saul 10 does come out this year it's titled Mm. saul x and if you're looking for your next barbenheimer i've got it because (laughs) saul x comes out on the same day as the next Paw Patrol movie. <laughs> Jay's a dad, if you didn't know. I will, and I will be there. I will be there. Yeah. <laughs> Saw Patrol. Oh, oh see, there it is. Uh, yeah, there, there it is. is. It's already, it's already, it's already right there. Internet. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you enjoyed Barmanheimer. How about Saw Patrol? <laughs> oh, God, the memes. The memes. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Please do that. Internet. We could kind of start it. I mean, like we could yeah. kind of get this thing going. Come on, guys! Like I hear be... Quill protesting in the back. So yeah, my dog is protesting. It. Let's make this the podcast that launched a million memes about uh, <laughs> Saw Patrol. Get on it, people! Um, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> The highly anticipated three-part series, The Continental, a John Wick prequel series, will premiere on September 22nd. Matt, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm excited for this. I'm really excited for uh, the John Wick, and I, I'm interested that they, they've made it a three-part series and not like an ongoing series. And I don't know if this may have may have more parts later, but like that seems like a good fit to me. Like I was kind of. I, I, I love the world of John Wick, and I could absolutely see a series working, but I also was worried they were going to try to milk it for stuff it didn't have. So, yeah, I'm excited. September 22nd, I'll be there. And maybe me and Zoo will get to cover it, because uh, we covered the, uh, the the John Wick movies recently. Uh, on Bingers. Okay, up next, alongside an official trailer, Amazon announced the second season of Invincible will debut November 3rd. Uh, with the first four episodes released weekly and a second group of four episodes to follow sometime in early 2024. A special feature for character Adam Eve is currently available to stream. Scotty. Yep, so this uh, special that we got for the character of Adam Eve was a total 
surprise and uh, an absolute pleasure. Got to watch that and covered that on Animation Deliberation. That's the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too serious. Just a little plug there for you. Go check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, I loved the first season of Invincible. I thought it was stellar. I thought it was groundbreaking. Um, and I felt like it, it was pretty popular. So I feel like this is a pretty anticipated follow-up. And we kind of talked about, you know, what's Comic-Con going to look like without these major studios here? And I I won't say like I called it or anything like that, but I, I think I mentioned something to the effect that like maybe it'll go back to its roots and actually be about like comics forthright a little bit. And I think, you know, um, with another property we're going to talk about later on, Boys, also from The Boys, uh, also from Amazon, this really is an opportunity for some of these lesser known or lesser celebrated like independent comics to really and their adaptations to have a place to shine so um the trailer didn't give us too much it kind of gave me some vibes of like paranoia regarding our central character especially coming off the heels of some of the big fallout from season one but they also just have an absolutely stat cast like off the top of my head tatiana maslani's joining season two sterling k brown Ooh. uh and then of course jk simmons and they end the trailer with jk simmons omni man just delivering some gut punching dialogue so i'm all in on invincible um i think it makes sense to break the season up into two especially with um like the you know concurrent strikes happening right now the animation writers that some of them fall in the writers guild some of them are in the animation guild so i'd have to do a little more research to see how that all shakes out but i do think that is a factor in deciding to split this season um and it'll you know just give us a a little bit of a break uh i i do believe i read that they've already started uh heavy production on season three so hopefully it's not that much longer of a wait like we had a two-year wait between season one and season two so invincible woo yeah, that nice. that split does seem to be strike related. I mean, I you've got so. streamers are probably kind of getting a little nervous about their ability to stretch out their content if the strikes keep going. So you're looking at Amazon and they're kind of looking at this and they're saying, hey, this is a really big series that people are going to tune in for. And if these strikes keep going, we're going to kind of dry up here. Uh, we need to be able to have some content on deck. Um, it, so it does seem like that was a conscious decision to try to mm. take this season, find some kind of middle point where it makes sense and then split it off into 2024. Mm. I thought the, I'll take my rebuttal here. And uh, th- I thought the... Uh, Interesting about trailer was that it really focused on the voice actors, and I think and the tons of names on that list, and it almost felt like you may have missed season one, but look at season two. Look at how prestigious this show is. Look at how prestigious this show is. Like, look how much gravitas. Like, it just kept going with name after name after name after name, um, and it was literally like people reading a line on a black screen with just their name. And it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I hear all those voices that I know and love. And I, you know, if I hadn't seen this ever before, I'd be like, what is this? This mm-hmm. is a, it's, it's a very effective trailer in that way. Yeah. A longer trailer was released for Netflix's live action adaptation of the One Piece anime. Scotty? I will. I I feel obligated to speak on this one, so I will. Uh, I know One Piece is a very celebrated anime, but it's been going for a long time. So there's an absolute uh, vast volume of 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 back episodes to go and and catch up on if I want to get caught up with this uh, anime. But uh, in terms of this trailer and and the live attic act and the live action adaptation, it seems like 
the fans of One Piece are very uh, enamored with it, and I got to see some stills from the live-action adaptation right alongside grabs from the anime, and it does look like they're being very faithful. So uh, I think word of mouth will be the strongest influencer for me, whether or not I check this out when it comes out, but it seems like Netflix is doing something right. Oh my goodness, uh, we have lost Jay Sisson. Uh, we, he, he blipped out during... Uh, Jay Scotty talking about One Piece, and uh, and now he's saying his power went out. So we are going to continue on without him, unfortunately. Uh, Jay is Sad. Jay is our rock. Rolling incursions all over the multiverse. Yeah. All right. Well, last thing in the Comic Con lightning round: the Borderlands movie will be released in August 2024, and is getting an interactive series called Echo Vision Live. Someone explain this to me. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a shame we don't have Jay anymore because I was kind of hoping he would be able to <laughs> speak on this one. Uh, but I can I can speak to it a little bit. Um, I have played Borderlands two, and I played uh, one of the spinoffs, Tales from the Borderlands, and I like them. Uh, I tried to play Borderlands three, but I think it was in too close a proximity to playing the others that I was just kind of burnt out. Uh, as far as the movie goes, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Kevin Hart is kind of hit or miss for me. Uh, you know, you can hate me for that if you if you choose to. Uh, but yeah, as far as this Echo Vision goes, I I don't know too many specific details. But the fact that it's interactive uh, makes me wonder: Are we going to do something like Bandersnatch from uh, Netflix and Black Mirror? Wait, is that where they did the uh, you could choose your own adventure type thing? Correct. Yeah, that was the one with Will Poulter. Where yeah. yeah. And- I never got to actually watch it, but I've heard of it. And I, there's also been a few others that were more light, lighthearted, like comedies and kids stuff, where there's the choose your own adventure thing for Netflix. And this is a Netflix thing, it said, right? No. No, I'm sorry. That was the previous story. I <laughs> 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 got lost. Um, but no, I just didn't even know like what an interactive series is except for that. And I guess, I guess that's our best guess at this point. We'll, we'll find, I guess we'll find out more when Jay's back. <laughs> Help me, Jay. So send you're my only hope. <laughs> Star Wars. A-bing. I, I just did a cursory goog, so just... To give us a little bit of, of credit here, um, according to GameRant.com, Borderlands Echo Vision Live will be an interactive community-led game where the audience determines the character's fates, adding a new level of player choice to the franchise. So uh, I do think the comparisons to Bandersnatch were kind of apt, but instead of one person uh, deciding that, it's kind of like the whole community getting to. It's like back in, oh. uh, in Batman comics where, you know, readers got to call and decide the fate of a certain Robin. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. I, that's way more interesting to me. And I, and I can totally see getting excited with a community to like choose the fate and like getting mad when they choose something I didn't want and all that. Cause that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds really fun. Thanks. Jay Scott. that, that is our comic con lightning round. And we got some more lightning round stuff coming, but, uh, now we're going to finish up our last two main stories. In the second trailer released for November's The Marvels, we see uh, Zawe Ashton's villain and get a sense of how the team, comprised of Carol Danvers, Monica Rambeau, and Kamala Khan, will use their entangled powers to provide stabilization to the universe, suffering from the after-effects of unintended consequences. Will The Marvels have enough power to do well at the box office this fall? We're going to get a really cool theme that... 
follows the Captain Marvel theme of lifting each other up and not doing things on your own. Uh, Captain Marvel in the comics is a very solitary character in a lot of ways. She thinks because she has all this power and she can do all these things that it's her burden to take care of everybody, to take care of the universe. And we see in this trailer that Monica tells her, you are not the only thing that stands between this force and this universe. And I know already I'm going to love that because one of my favorite scenes in Captain Marvel is when Monica and Carol are talking after they've heard the black box and Monica's like, I know who you are. I see you. And I can, I think we're going to get a lot of, I see you in this movie, which is going to be really lovely and really empowering. Um, And I think Zoe Ashton's character, even though she's being portrayed as a protagonist, she calls Carol the annihilator and you took everything from me. And so I think um, a lot of these questions we might have with secret invasion about why didn't they find the scrolls at home? Some of this is maybe going to get answered in the Marvels, which I know that means we're going back in time when we're going forward in the calendar year, but um, probably we're going to find that Carol maybe had to destroy a lot of things, and maybe not had to, but maybe did unintentionally, and so she's mm. got this path of destruction behind her that she has to now kind of work to fix and mop up, and at least she's got these two other people helping her, whether she likes it or not, they're mm-hmm. a team. Well, and you say unintentionally, but it looks like this person, uh, this antagonist, Zoe Ashton's character, is uh, holding a, a executioner, or a Ronan, Ronan, the mm-hmm. accuser, sorry, accuser, not executioner, accuser staff or whatever, and is, and there's a few other Kree shown in the trailer, um, and I think that, you know, she joined. She was taken in by the Kree. She was gaslit to Helen back, and she was put back in her. Uh, she finally figured it out, and so I think this is gonna her. She probably went on a bit of a rampage on the side of the scrolls in the Kree Scroll War, um, and and probably did some damage to the Kree, which you know maybe rightfully so, but that's still you know. War and violence leads to more war and violence because you always have the other side. Once one side beats back the other side, that side starts to feel like they're now the one that deserves retribution. And so yeah. uh, no matter what, war leads to this and more war leads to more violence. And so like it's gonna it's gonna be an issue. Um and I think that's what we're seeing with this character. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm just interested to find out more about the Kree Scroll War, as we've talked about you know, in our Secret Invasion coverage over the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Um, there's so there's so much uh, we don't know about the Kree Scroll yeah. War, and that's before the Scrolls came to Earth. Now we're also talking about what happened in this like 30 year gap between the 90s and the tw- 2020s. Um, that's yeah, that's that's 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's also cool we see Carol in a space station and Fury is talking to her from his space station. So mm. we've got Fury on Saber and do we have Carol at a sword station or another? Um, I can't remember the name of the one she is on in some of the comics. It's totally skip, skipping out of my mind. But yeah, I like that they're both on space stations. I think that's going to be a fun little start mm-hmm. to the movie. Yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff with uh, Stargate. I really like Stargate. I like the, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that like 
as the seasons go on, the humans get more and more technology that goes out to the galaxy, right? So they start out, they just have the gate, the Stargate, the name of the show. But then they get a ship or two, and they sort of start building their arsenal of things they can do out in the galaxy as the humans become a player on intergalactic uh, like politics and wars and scale, that scale. And so like I think it's neat that the MCU humans are developing that sort of technology and they're starting to have space stations and stuff. That's just kind of fun. I love it. I enjoyed this trailer. I really like the opening, like from the musical standpoint, how it builds, like they use the actual sound effects that were like happening in the trailer to build that theme for beastie boys intergalactic. Like I thought it worked really well. And then even like the opening dialogue, having fury say something to the effect of Carol Danvers, the prodigal daughter of the Milky way and her, you know, very appropriate rebuttal, my favorite one-eyed man of intrigue. Like, I, I just love their rapport. And um, I liked what you brought up, Haley, about, like, the parallel between them both being on space stations. And I think the MCU has um, taken Carol Danvers in a really interesting direction, like the fact that the first movie was set in the 90s and she's just been gone this entire time. Like, she feels an obligation to be a protector of the universe, but, like, Matt, like you brought up, I I do very much get the sense that this has been a little bit more of a revenge quest and there's going to be consequences for some of those actions that she took. But I, one of the things that's like difficult for me to wrap my head around is the fact that she spent all this time out in space and came back for in-game, but she had, you know, she had Monica, she had Maria um, on this planet, people that she had a connection with, but for whatever reason, she did not decide to come back and visit them. And I think that's, that's going to be present. I think you get a little bit of a sense of the resentment that Monica harbors towards her. But I do think um, it's it's going to be interesting to see this relationship between Carol, who hasn't aged a day since the 90s but has all this lived experience. Monica has grown up during this time, and then you've got uh, Kamala Khan. So you've got, all, you've got like these three generations of superpowered women. And Amon Vellani just continues to be a delight anytime she's on the screen. She just, you know, brings a smile to my face with her enthusiasm and and – uh, just vigor for that role. So, um, yeah, in terms of the story, I think we did get a little bit more of an idea of what to expect, especially with our antagonist um, in Zawi Ashton here. I did, uh, I looked up on Wikipedia, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but she's currently being credited as uh, Darbin. So I guess that's a, a Cree general from the comics who had at least mm. some kind of history, but, you know, the MCU, they're always going to take characters and recontextualize them for this this modern era but uh, i guess one of the things that stood out to me is that we did get the hexagonal uh, opening in the sky then the hexagons have often been associated with multiverse travel in the mcu and you see some water being drained up so i'm wondering um are they going to be you know trying to take resources from the earth in order to establish another home world of their own maybe it wasn't just the scrolls that were displaced maybe the kree are dealing with the exact same thing mm. The hexagons are also the jump points in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's Alpha Flight is what I was trying to think of. Did I call her a protagonist? You did, but it's okay. Sorry, I meant antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> was, I thought Alpha Flight was the Canadian mutant team, no? It yes. is. There's, okay. There are comics where Carol's in charge of Alpha Flight and they have a space station. Uh, it's okay. like Earth's first line of defense kind of a thing. Gotcha. Mm. That's cool. Neat. All right. Up next. 
Fans may be disappointed to hear that Warner Brothers is already assessing the need to delay Dune Part 2, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, and The Color Purple amid contentious negotiations between the writers and actors' guilds with the studios. The studios cite the desire to have cast members involved in the publicity and premieres for the feature films, something that is not currently available with the ongoing strikes. Will this happen, and do we think other major studios will follow suit? I think this probably will happen, and it saddens me a bit because I think it just speaks to how little progress has been made between the negotiating parties here. But I do think it is the right move because thinking about Dune specifically, like it, it's it's kind of not fair to everybody that worked on that film if they try to put this thing out without the proper promotion. The first movie did reasonably well, but it was also kind of, you know, held back by the fact that it was a day and day release on HBO Max at the time. We're calling it Max now. But it still did well enough, uh, even with its theatrical release, to get the sequel and for them to really put that budget behind Denis Villeneuve. But yeah, when you have a star-studded cast like Florence Pugh and Austin Butler and Christopher Walken joining the fray, it'd be an absolute shame and wasted opportunity not to to put them out there and give them the opportunity to talk about this film that so many people worked on. Uh, I can't really speak to Color Purple, but uh, I did want to highlight Aquaman 2. That's that's just kind of an interesting one for me because um, apparently right before the strike took place, they were in the midst of like a third reshoot and just like mm. reading some of the things that happened. Like this – I. I hate to say it, but I I don't feel good about Aquaman 2, especially coming off The Flash, because The Flash uh, persisted, its production persisted through three regimes of Warner Brothers leadership, and Aquaman 2 is in that same boat now. And apparently they've gone through, like, two Batman at this point. They shot scenes with Michael Keaton's Batman, who was going to act as, like, this elder statesman kind of Nick Fury role. Mm. And then when they decided that wasn't going to work, they pivoted to Ben Affleck's Batman. And I guess another... Um, Big wig suit came in and and didn't like the way it, it the test screenings went and they had ideas and then those test screenings came back from that version and they were even more poorly received so uh, yeah I mean, you know in the great scheme of things maybe it's a good thing for Aquaman to get to take this uh, this extra time and readjust but I don't know how much more they can they've already poured so much money into it mm-hmm. and I don't know if the fact that they poured that much money into it speaks to the faith they have in it. Or Warner Brothers just kind of dropping the ball again. I guess if there's any silver lining in the great scheme of things, uh, maybe these delays will give me time to reread Dune. I, I've been kind of wanting to since <laughs> I haven't uh, read it since before the first movie came out, and I mm. would like to potentially do that. <laughs> well, this was in the lightning round, uh, the fact that they had apparently uh, scenes with Michael Keaton and then Ben Affleck. Uh, uh, I jumped again, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's totally fine. Um, and like... What that makes me think of, spoiler alert for The Flash, but like that is a thing that like wouldn't even be possible in the universe that The Flash ends up being in. Mm-hmm. So like they, they either someone did something in The Flash that like made that not possible. And yeah, it just, it's very strange. It's when was that decision made? I'm guessing that was a James Gunn decision. Um, but the fact that they're taking those Batman scenes out or having to rework them somehow. Um, is kind of wild. And uh, yeah, I just find that really interesting. I think that what's happening right now with the casts, um, it's not just the premieres, right? It's doing the press junkets and doing the interviews and um, 
we do we want that from them I love that kind of content before a movie comes out I think it enriches the experience for me as a as a moviegoer and an enjoyer of the content and so I can see the other studios following suit right now they're kind of test driving it with Blue Beetle they've got the director out there doing like all the press basically which is kind of funny because mm. that's what they did with the flash but for totally different reasons right um but you still had the other you had Ben Affleck and you had um you know other actors from those from that film man those actors are getting a break out. but anyway a break from all that yeah. press <laughs> yeah yeah so um but yeah Blue Beetle is kind of like the little test subject right now I think because it comes out mm. in just a couple of weeks and so uh it makes me sad too Scotty I wanted to look forward to these things of course I kind of worry about Marvel Studios they've already got all these other issues piling up and now it's like are they going to push back these things that they have done that are like the last things they have completed until maybe early early 2024 and then they don't have anything else going right now like that's kind of concerning mm-hmm. as a fan so uh yes it shall continue to evolve this is a little bit of a pivot and we didn't like prepare any notes on it but have either of you heard the rumors and keep in mind this is a total rumor that um apparently bob Iger is looking to sell disney to apple potentially no, I hadn't heard no. that. Okay, with your concerns about Marvel Studios and everything they're kind of facing right now, that just kind of brought that uh, to the forward of my mind. But I don't, I don't have. Mm. Like I said, it's a wow. rumor. I, those are all the de- those are all the details I have. So that's really interesting. And Apple could is one of the few pe- like companies in the world that could purchase it. And then on top right. of that, Apple has made great content so far. Like mm-hmm. its content for Apple Plus has been like spotless. Like it's so so good. Um, so far and so like i'm that actually doesn't sound terrible to me but that's such an iconic brand to yeah. sell oh, that's for wild sure. that's that's what gets me that floors me actually for sure yeah. knowing warner brothers i wouldn't be uh, it would not shock me if they changed blue beetle to uh pink beetle because of the way they like <laughs> to like follow the trends you know of like whatever's <laughs> going on in the other movies whatever's being successful warner brothers is always on the heels of it trying to catch up trying to be do trying to repeat trying to do the same thing and with barbie being so successful i bet they're doing the cgi right now pink beetle here we come <laughs> blasphemy <laughs> Uh, next up, we have our Spotify poll for the week, and uh, if you and I said I'd, good job, Matt. Writing it, uh, writing a question at three in the morning is stupid. Um, <laughs> if you couldn't do the double feature, which would you choose, Barbie or Oppenheimer? So this is very appropriate for this week's uh, week's cast. Uh, I, I, I like in the middle of the week, I posted this because it was so freaking close. It was like I think on the fourth day, I looked and it was fifty fifty, and I was like, mm. "Ooh, man, oh, wow, that's cool." Um, it ended being uh, 53.2% for Barbie. Wow. So just barely edging out Oppenheimer. Come on, Barbie. Let's go party. <laughs> ooh-oh. Ooh-oh. <laughs> All right. Up, uh, next, we have the lightning round. The real lightning round. Not some Comic-Con knockoff, but the <laughs> lightning round. And, uh, I like how you- you're disparaging our own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> Yeah, Not the I Kirkland's am. best lightning round. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through these uh, and really try to make it a lightning round. And there's only three of us, so not that many people to do uh, a, a bonus uh, rebuttals. So let's see how we do this. <laughs> Jay, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but that's I'm what I meant to do. I'm, I'm blaming Jay for all of the uh, extra rebuttals. He's not here. He gets the blame. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
Um, up first in the lightning round, internet rumors are circulating among industry insiders that a Barbie spinoff film focusing on Ken starring Ryan Gosling is in early development. Haley, I would so see this movie. I, I, I hate to say that in a like feminist forward movie, Ryan Gosling stole the show, but Ryan Gosling totally stole the show. He was so good as Ken. He was so <laughs> committed to the role. You could tell he was just like in it to win it the whole time. And that's what sold it. That's what made it so good. Mm-hmm. So I, I really hope this comes to fruition with Greta Gerwig at the helm because I think it would be awesome. Yeah, that's great. Cameron Monaghan, star of video games, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and Star Wars Jedi Survivor, has closed a deal to join the cast of Tron Ares. Scotty, I will be the resident Tron enthusiast because I heard <laughs> last week's episode and I was a little disappointed. The way Tron we was, were missing you. <laughs> Tron was glossed over, but uh, you know, not really too much to go off of here. Um, they are building up the cast. I think Cameron Monaghan is a great talent. He clearly has an interest in doing um, things set within properties that are pretty present in the pop culture, be it Star Wars. I know he showed up as a proto-Joker on Gotham. And uh, yeah, just joining the fray here in, in Tron Ares, um, it, it actually makes me more excited because Jared Leto, I can kind of take or leave. And the fact that he was like the focal point for this thing kind of had me very conflicted. Like I want to be excited for this, but as they start to, you know, surround him with an increasing talent, especially like, you know, um, Evan Peters that we talked about a couple of weeks ago and now Cameron Monaghan. And um, I can't remember the um, performer from Yellow Jackets, uh, but yeah, uh, the more you can do to, sh- to distract us from Jared Leto, I think the better. So. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> oh my goodness. The boy's upcoming spinoff, Gen V, what a great name, has set its premiere date. Uh, the series will debut with its first three episodes on September 29th. Weekly episodes will follow with the finale set to wrap up the season on November 3rd. The new teaser trailer shows a hilarious, occasionally gory lives of students at the superheroes-only school, Godolkin University. Matt, uh, trailer looks cool. <laughs> I've been excited for this show. Um, trailer looks a little teeny bopper to me. Um, like, it's very uh, youth-forward, which sometimes can be great. <laughs> and I knew this was a college-age thing, like, so I was expecting that. But it somehow feels a little too glossy for the boys. Um, mm. I think the boys has a really good combination of gritty and glossy, um, but this didn't feel to me as gritty. It kind of felt a little, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to say it exactly, but it just felt a little, um, maybe CW is the best way to say it, which is, oh, is not a, not a compliment. Um, sorry, people who love those shows. Um, when you're, but when you're comparing it to the boys, the boys is just such an elevated show. And and there's just some, something about this that just looked like the lighting was a little like, I don't know, uh, network television or something. It's just like these are weird insults. Sorry, um, but <laughs> I'm still excited. The for lighting it. was so generic. <laughs> yeah, well, there's just this thing they do with lighting where like the goal of the lighting is to make the people on the screen look attractive instead of make the storytelling more effective. Like you, lighting is supposed to be like a character. It's supposed to be moody. It's supposed to be I- intriguing. It's supposed to be all these things when it needs to be. And when it just like, uh, you're lit as well as me right now, where you're just like beautiful, then like 
you you just you lose something. You lose something in storytelling, and um, mm. so so I, it makes me wonder. It makes me worried that they're making a show that's like, hey, we should take this property, the boys, it's beloved, and. Like I, th- I was really excited when I heard about this series. A college in the set in this universe of for all superheroes sounds great. But when when seeing the trailer, I'm worried now that it's like, let's take this property that people love and make it a little sexier and like make it like for the teens. And I don't, I don't really get behind that very much. So uh, <laughs> doesn't it appeal to me in the same way. You know, hearing you kind of voice some of your misgivings with it um, helps me contextualize mine a little bit, and I. I think i harped in on like the blood effects like we see who i believe is the main character using like blood powers and like i was not sold on those effects but as you were like talking about this lighting i kind of wonder like maybe that's an intentional choice because even though this is a spinoff i think one of the things the boys does really well is it's very self-aware about like the source material that the comics itself was kind of lampooning like let's let's you know Absolutely. Take comic book characters and superheroes and kind of like subvert expectations and make it hyper violent. So I'm wondering if this season, if we're going to see kind of a buildup because they're enrolled in a college that's specifically made to tr- to train them to become superheroes. So maybe it starts off with a st- certain aesthetic where everything's kind of sanitized and they don't know the real brutality or um, what's the, the the company starts with a V. Vought. Vots, yeah, or yeah, they don't know some of like the more, the seedier side of of Vots activities, but as they get closer and closer to becoming this like top graduate and uh, an inductee to the seven, maybe that will all kind of come to fruition, and mm-hmm. we'll see like a shift in tone. I think that would be um, a cool direction to take it, but that's just you know speculation. Well, yeah, we already know so much about Vot, and it feels like part of the story of this is like these characters learning that thought has a dark side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause sure. and I'm like, we all already know that. So it kind of feels like so many teen shows where it's like, all right, now we get to see the teens discover the same thing. Our main characters from the adult show have been discovering for mm. four seasons or whatever. That's and that's just yeah. always a little like drag on the storytelling. Uh, it's, but anyway, AMC Theaters has scrapped its plans to charge moviegoers more money for a better view of the screen. The company announced it is no longer moving forward with Sightline at AMC, a ticket pricing initiative based on seat locations within the auditorium. The proposed system, which was announced in February, involved customers paying a few extra dollars for prime middle seats with an unobstructed view and saving a few bucks to sit in the front row. Scott. Haley. Oh, oh go for oh. All three of us. I'll defer to one of you two because I don't actually go to an AMC theater and I was just going to shit on it. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll be quick. I, my local theater is an AMC theater. I generally like AMC. I've got A-list. I think it's a pretty nice value that they're offering there. But the minute that this was announced, like I absolutely hated it. It's like you're going to take the kind of sacred place that a movie theater is and just make it about money again. The people that can afford to pay more are going to get nicer seats and those that can't have to have lesser seats. Like that just... I, I hate that. So AMC, I like you generally, but I'm I'm glad that you're eating crow on this one because you deserve to. It was a terrible idea. I feel the same way, especially for like the best seats being more. But well, the one caveat, 
I actually think it's not a bad idea to charge less for the front row or even the front two rows. Nobody wants those seats. And I go to so many movies that are sold out except the front row. And if you charge $2 less, there might be those value shoppers who are like, oh, yeah, I, I'll put up with that. But like I, my dad was the kind of guy who he would put up with a lot for to save a buck, you know, mm. and he almost like took pride in the fact that he had to sit like this the whole movie. Like he would totally <laughs> love that. Um, uh, you know, like he, so, so, so I just see it. I see that being valuable for both sides. Like I could see uh, audience goers going, well, I saved two bucks and I could see AMC filling seats that they never fill because sometimes I really do go in there sold out and those front seats are just empty because no one wants to sit that close, especially as big as theaters, uh, screens can be now. In a new interview with CTV, the Oscar-winning director James Cameron expressed doubt over AI bots being able to write a good story. He said, I just don't personally believe that a disembodied mind that's just regurgitating what other embodied minds have said. By the way, from the guy who wrote Terminator, I love those <laughs> like that language. Like mm-hmm. it is embodied and disembodied minds. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. Um about the life that they've had and the love about love, about lying, about fear, about morality, and just put it all together into word salad and then regurgitate it. I don't believe that's ever going to have something that's going to move an audience. You have to be human to write that. I don't know anyone that's even thinking about having AI write a screenplay. Haley. I don't really care for James Cameron. Um, And the more he talks, the less I care for him, kind of as a person, as a spokesperson. He makes great films. So sometimes I don't have any use for Avatar, but somebody who's using as much technology as he is for the Avatar movies, which was super groundbreaking when he started the first one and all of that, it just comes out, and like you said, made the Terminator, like it just comes out a little hypocritical. And it's like, your your base point is good. A robot cannot replace a human's emotions. Like, that's the basis of what he's saying, but it just comes out sounding so bleh to me. And I mean, this is the guy who re-releases his movies just to make more money than Avengers Endgame. You know, it's like, I, I can't take a lot of what he says seriously because I just think he's, I think he's just always looking for the limelight and always looking for an angle to put himself out there in the stratosphere i guess Mm. i will make one quick rebuttal about his comments because i think he's wrong i think that they will move audiences like i think it's just a matter of time because so much of our storytelling in this world is just regurgitated like that's just how so much of our stories are that way so much of our stories are uninspired dreck and it just like yeah like but it still moves the people that it moves because you still have the basis of that inspiration from the earlier generations or the earlier stories that you're basing it on there's still a basis in like inspired writing from a human so I think that it's going to happen and they're going to be able to make movies that work with this method. But my fear and the reason I'm opposed to it is because you can't make new stories. You can't break new ground. You can't tell new human emotions. You can't be groundbreaking uh, with an right. AI, um, at least not about humanity. Right. Uh, all those things he says about love, about lying, about fear, about morality, you can't tell a new story. And so I think if AI were to 
let's say like become the predominant way we wrote stories. I just don't think we'd, I think we would stagnate as a creative people. Yes. Yeah. The first teaser trailer for Rick and Morty, the anime has dropped. The series currently has no release date, but is expected to debut sometime this year. Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. This is one that I've just always, um, well, I say always, but as we've been talking about it and I've been more and more exposed to it, it's kind of a, even after seeing this trailer, I still don't fully know what to expect. It's certainly embracing the, the <laughs> anime vibes, but it also feels very much of like Rick and Morty and um, the showrunner for this show. He's talked about how much of a fan of Rick and Morty he is and being exposed to some of the YouTube shorts that he did that um, allowed for the series to even take place. It, it very much matches the storytelling of Rick and Morty where it's like, yeah, you may be seeing certain visual cues on, on screen, but that gives me no indication to the story whatsoever. Uh, it did the trailer that they gave us very much felt like the intro to an anime where you see, you know, characters mm-hmm. doing different things, interacting with each other, seeing different landscapes and whatnot. And I guess the thing that stuck out to me is it seems like Morty may have a new love interest. It's not a character that looks like it was um, adapted from any of the existing characters that I know from Rick and Morty. But again, like I don't even know if she's really going to factor in or if this is just something funny they did mm-hmm. for this trailer and like for the sister. intro. Well, you see, her, you see his sister Summer later on in the trailer, so it's clear that she's not um, his okay. sister. My mind kind of went to what if it is, what if they're, you know, because Rick and Morty has its influence from Back to the Future. Like when when Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon first did it, it was a spoof on um, Back to the Future. So I'm wondering, could it be his grandma, like Rick's Rick's wife? Because we've seen, we've had her teased a little bit as as the story of Rick and Morty has gone on. So what if Morty actually like falls in love with like an earlier earlier version (laughs) of his, his grandma and somehow is like, like his own like yeah, grandfather that, that's great <laughs> yeah. that's amazing yeah it's great that you came up with a good like theory based on this just like acid trip of a trailer like i love it i love it jay scotty <laughs> that's fair that's fair still coming up with the theories even though like yeah i'm watching this and i'm like what fever dream is this like it's so <laughs> wild um and i love i love rick and morty and even watch this trailer. i was like yeah those are i recognize these images that's all i can say about this trailer i do not know Oppenheimer director Christopher Nolan told Deadline that it would be an amazing privilege to direct a James Bond movie and acknowledged that those films heavily influenced his style while also stressing that he will not be making any more films until the strikes are over. Haley, we were going to have a three-way tie between me, Scotty, and Jay for this one. We were going to break all the rules. Um, I actually really like this. I think that it would be obviously a very well-made movie. Everything would be um, practically done, which is very cool, especially in James Bond when um, it could probably be kind of gritty, like old school James Bond, like James Bond from the books and the short stories, which is, they're pretty gnarly, I'm not going to lie. Um, so I, I would like that a lot. And maybe he would cast one of his favorites, like uh, Robert Pattinson or John David Washington, because he seems to cast the same people in his movies, which is totally fine. He gets great actors. Um, so I'm totally down with this. It would probably just be very long uh, which is also okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Cillian Murphy chimed in on the Barbenheimer craze, indicating in an interview with Cinephilos that he'd be open to the possibility of playing a Ken in a Barbie sequel. Scotty, I'd, I'd love to see it, whether or not it's the Ryan Gosling Ken spinoff or a sequel forthright to Barbie. Just 
even if it's a few years removed, being able to kind of like look back upon the cultural touchstone that Barbenheimer was and see Killian Murphy like pop up as a kin, like mm-hmm. I I know that would get like a guffaw out of me. So um, I'm I'm on board for it. Yeah, it's one of those things I hope they don't tell us until we're in the theater. Or like, hey, yeah. yeah, yeah, Oppenheimer Ken. Yeah, Opp- <laughs> and he's like Oppenheimer. <laughs> uh, Jeopardy's Tournament of Champions has a bigger problem on its hands than trivia this year. Several prominent contestants have pledged not to return to the series to complete the Tournament of Champions in solidarity with the Writers Guild of America, as the series employs WGA members. Scotty. Yeah, I, I think there's a reason when I think about reality TV, like game shows don't really come to mind as much, but they are technically reality TV. And uh, Jeopardy kind of stands out amongst the the pack to me for having like a certain pedigree. It's like Jeopardy is like, you know, a highfalutin kind of experience. <laughs> so uh, just to see the contestants and former champions kind of conduct themselves with like this awareness and be so supportive of the writers, because believe it or not, those questions or the clues rather have to be written by someone. So uh, writers have to do that. So um, rather than recycling old clues and, and whatnot, I think this is the right move. And the other thing that kind of stuck out to me is I guess one of the participants in this tournament of champions was going to be Ike Barinholtz, who I did not know he was like the winner of like celebrity jeopardy. So he has a knack for not playing like the brightest of characters. So that was kind of like a pleasant surprise. I thought <laughs> I saw him in the thumbnail for the story, but I was like, Oh, he just must look like Ike Barinholtz. And sure enough, Ike Barinholtz is a jeopardy champion. Good on him. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. It's weird when you find out the different people in Hollywood that are just like really smart. Yeah. Like, you know, podcasting, you kind of get that. Like, you always hear like, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying he's like the most intelligent guy, but a lot of a lot of the writers and stuff go to Harvard and stuff. So it's mm-hmm. like a lot of them are smart people, but I always hear like Conan O'Brien talking and he's just obsessed with history, you know, like mm-hmm. he's like such a silly puppet man. But then like you all good comedians are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, they're all obsessed with like interesting stuff uh and and are knowledgeable. Um okay, last one in the lightning round, producers Michael Uslan and his son David Uslan are working with the recently announced Stanley Comics line published digitally by Legible as it has acquired the rights to develop and publish 12 new series based on never before seen Stanley properties. The living comics use video, audio and graphics to bring the stories to life. I thought this was a really interesting little niche thing to throw in here at the last minute. Um, Michael Uslan kind of flies under the radar, and I buried the lead on him because he is the man who brought Batman to the live screen, live action screen. Um, he is the reason we have all the Batman movies. He was mm. one of the first producers. He sold that story to studios until one of them finally bit, which was Warner Brothers. Um, and I've heard him talk in person, and I've met him. He's very kind and very interesting. And so... You would think with that DC connection, this is a hard pivot. It's not. Stanley was his mentor. He guided him through his career. And so this makes perfect sense in that way. I've only seen, I think, one living comic, and I can't even remember the name of it off the top of my head. But it's kind of a cool way to interact with this medium and to see and hear the story rather than just reading it on the page. They are going to print these as well. But I think this is something fun to look out for if you're into comics. 
and whether you like Stanley or not, um, he did contribute a lot to the business, especially at Marvel. And so I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. It always interests me when these cross the line to just being video series, you know, like the, I've seen, I've seen a few of these before and it's like, sometimes they're very clearly comics with a little bit added, but sometimes they're more elevated with good voice actors and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, when are you just an animated series? You know, like it's like, yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all for this week's multiverse news. Uh, everybody check out Jay Sisson's show. He's not here to do his plug commute the podcast. They do a 20 minute, on your way to work every week show. Uh, I think it's every Monday morning it drops, uh, and you can find out three interesting topics, kind of like uh, water cooler talk. You can have every uh, every Monday morning on Commute the Podcast. So check that out. And uh, Jay Scotty, tell people where they can find your stuff online. Well, first of all, I want to wish you again a very happy birthday. Encourage everybody out there. Uh, give Matt some love, and I, I think a birthday present you can give him is by supporting this show. Give it a like, give it a subscribe, share it with <laughs> yeah. a movie lover in your life. Um, as for me, I mentioned it earlier, but Animation Deliberation is the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. So if you're a fan of animation, um, it is a great time to be a fan of animation. We've got uh, My Adventures with Superman on Adult Swim and Max airing currently. That shows a lot of fun, and in just a couple of days from now, Harley Quinn's fourth season debuts, and we're going to be talking about that. So join us there, Animation Deliberation, wherever you get your podcast. Let me piggyback off what you said with the birthday present thing. Okay. Thank you guys so much for supporting this show. Uh, it has been growing week over week by hundreds of downloads. Like, it's the fastest growing show in Stranded Panda history. Thank you so much for like supporting it and listening. Uh, and so many of you are following up and sticking with the show and listening every week. But biggest present you can give me, share it on your feed and just let people know it's a show where you're getting good entertainment, uh, entertainment talk. Share it with your friends. Send it in a message. Say like, hey, I like this. If you like it, you you probably know a friend that would like it too, and that would be a huge way to help the show grow and would be a huge present to me on my birthday. Um, and Haley Hobbs, what can the people find you online? Uh, people can find me at Source Pages, where we read comics and novels as primers for all the geeky TV shows and movies we love. Give all of our shows a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, whatever your chosen choice is, please. And yeah, we're covering some Secret Wars right now. If you want some laughs, Brian and I each read a different comic this week <laughs> than <laughs> well, one we were supposed to, which was pretty funny. Um, and then we'll be covering Blue Beetle and hopefully Dune in the future and all kinds of great stuff. So check us out. Check us all out. Yeah. Yeah. Strandedpanda.com. You can find most of these things. Uh, so go check that out. And that's where you can find all my stuff as well. Uh, and we'll be back soon with more multiverse news. Stick around, hang out. We, we really appreciate all you guys following the show. Peace. You stay classy multiverse.